0: This is a Channel 101 podcast.
1: Welcome to Primetime Files, the Channel 101 and Frequency 101 podcast, which is basically fly on the wall. But instead of SNL, we're talking with the universe of people involved in 101 over the years 101 is a monthly festival for five-minute tv shows channel 101 being that frequency 101 being that but audio only and i'm your host todd donald this episode i get to talk with ryan elder he's a composer arranger who ultimately is also a recordist performer and producer of his work his channel 101 credits include googie car jumper breaking good rambo no blood Murder Town, Classroom, Planet Unicorn, Fire Guys, and the list goes on like that. Legendary. Prior to Rick and Morty, which I'm sure you've heard of, uh, he's worked with people on, from that show like on an Acceptable TV, Harmon Quest, of course, Harmon Town, the movie. Granted, you can use the internet, preferably RyanElderMusic.com, link will be in the episode notes, if you're not familiar with this man. I just want to address this conversation Despite how much of a narcissist I end up being when I do the podcast, is largely about Ryan and Channel 101. Rick and Morty does come in and out of the conversation. Granted, it's a great show and I love it. But if you're only here as a Rick and Morty fan, I think you should listen to it all anyway, because you'll get to know a really cool gentleman who you know makes music that's become a part of the soundtrack of your life. And perhaps you'll learn about 101 too. So how about it, eh? Please enjoy now the following conversation with Ryan Elder. Let's start off with how are you doing today? We're on the record (laughs) now. How are you doing today, Ryan?
0: (laughs) I'm doing well. You know, it's a little overcast here in Minnesota, but uh, things are good. You know, chugging along. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. I I just finished an eight-hour work shift. I was up at like 1 a.m. your time. And I haven't eaten Brutal. yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you can eat while we do this. <laughs> That's always good podcasting, right? Slurping. Maybe you should have some ramen or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you're like fine. I'll 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 turn the camera off for this, and <laughs> no, you don't know I'm eating a pizza. <laughs> a while back, about five years, you did a podcast interview for uh, Interdimensional RSS, the Rick and Morty podcast. Yeah, I used that sort of again as like a like a cheat shit a cheat shit. Um, Sometimes (laughs) conventional shits don't. But what one couldn't get from that is, and I'm curious about this, during lockdown, if applicable, did you have any like creative project coping mechanisms?
0: Well, so fortunately for me, I had plenty of work to do during the entire of lockdown and all through the whole pandemic. Uh, I was working on Rick and Morty, of course. We were still making the show. It was still going on, thanks, you know, thanks to the magic of animation. Mm-hmm. Nobody needed to be in the same room. And then, in addition, I was also working on Inside Job uh, for Netflix, which was a huge amount of work and time. And we worked on that. We worked on 18 episodes of that. Basically, f- we started in January of 2020, <laughs> so right before the pandemic. Right. And we finished, like last year. So it was, uh, you know, I I had plenty to do. I wasn't hungry for being creative. (laughs) I was just doing my job. Um, And it's only been since then, actually, that my work schedule has cleared out a little. And I've had time to uh, think and be creative outside of my, you know, my duties as a TV composer. And um, I've been working on Well, it's really nebulous at this point, but I want to make kind of a pop record with all these singers and producers and people that I've met over the years and kind of do collaborations on like one song each with each person and hopefully put out maybe an EP or like an eight songs uh, album or something of kind of pop, sort of chill, vibey pop with kind of a synth wavy influence um, with, you know, my friends and people I've met. And so that, that's kind of going on now, but you know, I'm also working on season seven of Rick and Morty. So it's going a lot slower than I wanted it to at first, but it's definitely fun.
1: This is good news because like, I can't wait to hear it. First of all, I had an enormous curiosity because you've been, like, you, you've been working professionally, like you were doing jingles since the early 2000s, right? And working professionally yep. uh, in some capacity since then. And of course, you continue to do great work. Being a musician myself, I kind of wondered, uh, with that brain of yours, why isn't the Ryan Elder Band tearing up the charts? Hmm. <laughs> it's always like music for film and television, other people's stuff. And... Is there a part of you that ever wanted to, to do that? And do you feel like you're exercising that with this new project?
0: You know, what's interesting is um, the answer to that is basically no I'm to both. Um, I don't feel like I'm doing that with this project because I'm really a producer in, in this context. You know, I'm not going to be singing or performing on it. I'm just write, you know, writing and producing it with other singers. But um, even growing up when I was in bands and stuff in high school, and i always like to be i like to be a songwriter who didn't exact i mean i did perform a lot of my own songs and stuff in high school but i didn't really like being the frontman of a band i liked being a member of the band i like contributing creatively and i like you know music for me is is very important collaboration is a huge part of music mm-hmm. in in high school i was in orchestra cuz i played violin growing up and my orchestra conduct my our orchestra uh, director never entered us in those like contests because he truly believed that music is not a competition music is a collaboration and he always felt like it was just against the spirit of music to be competing against other musicians and you know that the fact is there's tons of competition I, I you know every almost any show that I go up for I'm usually competing against other composers and you know every orchestra player that I've ever worked with has had to compete to get their chair whatever that's definitely the case but I prefer to focus on collaboration I always have I've yeah. always been a in the studio type guy so even in high school when I was in bands and stuff my dream was to be a record producer I wanted to be butch vig i wanted to be daniel lanois i wanted to be you know these 90s rock producers that were making the songs that i loved and listened to behind the scenes and frankly were like in my mind kind of the magic of these bands that i loved and so you know my dream was to be a record producer so i I got a job as an intern at a studio, what I thought was just a regular recording studio. It turned out they did music for commercials. And so it was easy to just go, okay, well I can do music for commercials too. you know, just take the opportunity that's in front of me, instead of like, at that point in my life, I was 21, 22 years old, I'm not gonna be picky about who's offering me work in the music business, you know? Um, And so it just kind of ended up going that way. And then, you know, what I did for fun, my day job was writing music for commercials for like 11 years. But what I did for fun in terms of music was Channel 101, 100%. Like so many, I don't know if you know this, but I would guess that at least 50 to 100 shows were filmed at my work where I worked every day as a composer. Oh, um, wow. The, That location is just like in so many of those old classic 101 shows. Uh, several Yacht Rock episodes, the f- first episode of George Warrior was filmed there. There's just a lot that were filmed there um, because at na- I would work during the day on commercials and at night Channel 101 was my hobby. And so I'd get together with my friends and we'd make shows and film them and stuff or, or I'd work on the music for their shows. Like, you know, every second of the music I wrote for The Wastelander, which was my first Channel 101 score, I wrote after hours uh, after working on commercials all day. So, 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 you know, that was my hobby. That was what I was doing for fun. And, you know, obviously it has led to bigger and better things and, you know, more opportunity and more money and all that stuff. But it initially started with just a passion for making stupid shows with my friends.
1: I love that. Yeah. I I had to assume like the shows weren't, that weren't, you know, shot at Robert Dan's apartment were shot somewhere (laughs) somewhere. or in the wasteland yeah uh
0: yeah it it, it's funny how many i'd have to go back to to like actually get a good number but there were several water and powers filmed there it was just like the go-to place to film at an office but it also Mm -hmm. had the control room of the studio which could function as a control like a music recording studio but also like it worked as a like a ship control room for like a there was a episode of one of ryan nagata's shows that had like a uh space shuttle launch that they used that was like ground zero st- control station or whatever for that. So it, it just was a very flexible space.
1: Can I take a moment to list off some of your Channel 101 show credits? Go for, for it. composer. As I'm looking at these, I, I want to thank you on behalf of all of us who weren't a part of making them that have gotten to appreciate them over the years. Of course, Wastelander, Dohar, Lord of the Beasts, Yuri... Uh, your magic touch me. Classroom. Planet Unicorn. Rambo. And no blood. Fagney and Gacy. Gigabots. I mean, we're talking to the one-on-one audience. This is this is all royalty. Uh, everything you've done is touches <laughs> gold. Maybe it's because you made the music. You know. You
0: know what's funny is there was a period where I would get brought onto existing shows that on well, were on episode five or whatever, and I think. Four times in a row I got brought on on episode five and then it would get canceled. (laughs) Um, So I I, I would hesitate. Like I definitely worked on some long running shows, some very popular shows, but there were a few like one comes to mind, Fire Guys, which was on episode five or something when I when Dawn asked me to do music for it. And then it got canceled that week, (laughs) that month. So it happened a bunch of times. But so, you know, it, it was hit or miss, but mainly it was, you know, I can't take any credit these are just working with people that are just immensely talented writers and actors and creators. And, you know, I was just lucky enough to be friends with them and get to uh, get to provide something to their show to, to help it. Because frankly they could, you know, there's no rules at one-on-one you can just use pre-recorded music. So a lot of shows would, and it's not like, you know, it's not like my music is better than John Williams or any of these, especially at that time, any film composers that they could have used, but I guess having bespoke music that's scoring the action in it the exact right way does save the creator time and the editor time. They don't have to like, try to make the edit fit the music. They can just let me do my job. So in that sense, it was definitely helpful. But I, I, you know, I, can't, I can't take any credit. I just was lucky enough to know these people who were making the great shows.
1: You know, Speaking of the process of making a one-on-one show, they have to be made within a month, you know, typically you know, yeah. three, to, three to four weeks depending on the month. Good reason not to submit in February because if it gets voted back, February is so damn short. that. Yep.
0: That was always the, that was always, <laughs> always, it was always like the death knell for so many shows that would, January was always a hot month because you had basically November and December and all, you know, a lot of January to get your show together. Yeah. And then February you had the shortest amount of time. So, so many shows died on the vine in February is actually insane. But January always had incredible screenings. My first screening ever, January 2005, had uh, House of Cosby's. It had. It was an incredible screening. It had Laser Fart 7, I think, like some yeah. really iconic shows from back in the day that debuted or were like crushing it at that time. It had the, it had the great episode of The Boo where they did a music video instead. Although uh, we didn't do The Boo this month. Yeah, so. that one, yeah. <laughs> Uh, which I guess is a point against my, my theory that uh, January January gives you a lot of time because they sure didn't have time. But so, so yeah, you're right. Like I think the problem is people spend a lot of time on their first episode and then they're like, oh shit, I gotta put something. I mean, that happened to me with Dohar. We you know, we put our blood, sweat tears and time into Dohar one and then we only had you know three weeks or whatever to get Dohar 2 together. and it really suffered for it. Um, Yeah. Well, no, I, I I didn't say that
1: wasn't in agreement with it. Suffering. That was like, (laughs) I'm following.
0: No, it's fine. You couldn't agree with it. It's fine. It wasn't that good. Um, Those guys, Mike and Willie, who I worked with on Dohar, they, we worked on a bunch of shows together. Mm -hmm. They had, they could get in this by the time we were making shows, we would get in the screening, but we couldn't really get a second episode. We only got a second episode once with Dohar And then as soon as they stopped working with me, they did George Warrior and got like 14 episodes or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think I might've been the problem there. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Googie speaks differently.
0: Yeah. Googie, I just did music on, but that, that was a great show too. I mean, Willie is just so charming in that. And the music was really fun on that. It was very, that talk about collaboration. That was like, we not only would uh, Willie and Mike and I collaborate on the song. But usually the person who sang the song was a guest star and they would also collaborate. So like Brandon Johnson, who went on to be a writer and a voice actor on Rick and Morty, did a song where he did a rap. And then Mike Chillion did a song with us for the Halloween episode, which is still one of my favorite pieces of music I've ever written for a Channel 101 show was that. uh, The Wolf Boy. Yeah, I I just really, that really came out well. I, I I don't know what it was about that, but... Um, so yeah, I mean, I had some hits and misses, let's put it that way.
1: Well, to some of us, they're all hits, but it, it, you know, we won't take that away from you. Don't take that away from us. You know, make, um, there you go. I can't believe I had Mike chilling on like when we were chatting and I didn't mention Wolf Boy.
0: Well, his one-on-one history is as deep and, uh, diverse as mine. So there's going to be definitely be some things we miss in mind too. Uh, you know, it was 2005 basically until I think I stopped heavily involved in like 2011 so you know six years of shows i went to every screening i was usually involved in one or two if not three shows per screening for and those I, six years so
1: i'm gonna put my nerd glasses on and correct you for a momento you came back and you did the music for late tonight with nick burton i think that was a seeker show
0: or wait Oh, yeah, that's right. It was Alex, Alex, Alex and Seeger, yeah. I don't know what I, I don't remember what I did for that. <laughs> they probably just stole something. I'm just kidding. No, um, I think, I'm sure Alex asked me to do something um, last minute or something. But it, yeah, okay, fair, fair.
1: <laughs> so using Googie as an example, there, there's something that, I don't know if it was profound, but it, it just really stuck out to me. Googie was a show where they would have had to ask you to like make the music for it But also within the same month, like you had to have that music ready in time for the vocals to be recorded and for the intro to be filmed to the music. So Mm -hmm. you probably you probably had even less time than like, say, I would give myself or. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's a good point. I think what usually happened is if they got renewed, we worked on the song like over the next week. And honestly, we did those songs, generally speaking, in one night. Okay, Um, I work pretty fast, obviously commercials. You're working on a different piece of music every day. And they're short, so you can kind of dial up the sound. And I had access to, you know, top-of-the-line, world-class recording studio. So it, it wasn't too, you know, there wasn't a lot of me preparing for them to come in. I, I They would come in, and we'd sort of talk about how we wanted the song to work and throw ideas around. And then I would load up some sounds, and we'd record you know, ukulele. We, I think we used a lot of ukulele. We used a lot of... Um, this uh, audio loop library I had called Found Percussion, which has all these cool, like, quirky percussion sounds made using, like, sugar packets and pots and pans and cool stuff like that. So it just gave it some some vibrancy, yeah. some organicness. And, the, you know, that saves a lot of time. You know, that's already recorded. We didn't have to find sugar packets and record them. So, yeah, <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> we did it basically. We'd do that song in one night and then I would mix and master maybe the next night and then. Uh, They would film, so it it was quick. There's one thing. If there's one constant in my career as a composer, it's that I, generally speaking, work pretty fast.
1: What's up, buddies? Kayla here, host of the podcast Screen Vomit, which is a movie podcast for geeks and freaks of all kinds, breaking down films from the last ten years, joined by people in various aspects of the entertainment industry, including musicians, filmmakers, and even several 101ers that y'all know and love, including, but not limited to, Alex Kavitsky, Anna Saragina, and even Todd Donald himself. I love movies, you love movies, I've never met a 101er who doesn't know what a movie is, but even if you don't, maybe you'll learn a few things, so check it out, Screen vomit wherever you find your podcasts. It took me forever (laughs) to get to a place where the, uh, the bless it and call it good philosophy mm-hmm. was, um, now that's, I'm quoting you, maybe You're not quoting, me,
0: quoting my English teacher. <laughs> right. Is that where you first, is that yeah. where it first was? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. she was talking about writing papers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There comes a time where you just have to bless it and call it good. You got to move on. You can't, um, Harmon talks about this a lot or he used to on uh, Harmontown. Harmon town, And he would just like sort of repeat the phrase, how do you know when you're finished? How do you know when you're finished? (laughs) Um, And I think he deal he struggles with that for sure. At least in my experience, like getting to a point where he's willing to let go is uh, it's difficult, you know, different creatives have different levels of tolerance for when they're willing to let something go into the world. And some people continue to hone and craft and tweak their art forever and it never gets released and that's fine for them and they're okay with that that's totally fine personally i'd rather be i'd you know i'd i want to show up um on time and in tune you know i don't i don't want to let anybody down so i'd rather submit something bad on time than something good late
1: this applies to me and I, and I just wonder if it's not universal but don't you think one gets better at a greater pace when they have to channel 101 is perfect for this because it's like you have to write a TV mm-hmm. show you have no
0: less than a month to do it yep i mean that's the that's the ethos that dan and rob created with this is that you just have to keep moving forward and when you're canceled hey guess what you get to make something else It's like, don't fall in love with your art. Don't fall in love. Don't treat them like they're your babies and that they're indispensable because that's not how commercial uh, creativity works. It's always the next big thing. So like, if you're not precious about your art, it's so much easier to make money doing it. It just is like, (laughs) you know, that's one thing that ads taught me. I I was working, you know, I'm working in-house with five other composers. So I'm competing against at least five other people every day on every single ad. Throw in the other five music houses that the production company hired to submit demos, and we're talking 25 or whatever demos that I'm competing against. So the vast majority of the music I wrote for ads didn't go anywhere. You know, I was lucky if I sold two or three ads a month, and that's doing one a new one every day. And it's just the way it is. Like you just learn to not, you learn to forget about what you what got passed over and move on to the next thing. And I do think that that, yeah, like you said, that makes you better. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You have to iterate. Uh, Working on the same thing forever is never going to make you good. Just won't.
1: To the listener, you know, like hell, if you if you learn just one thing that you wish you did better on the last one, boom, Mm -hmm. that's a win. Mm-hmm. it's, it's oh, not absolutely a,
0: yeah the number of people that got into prime time with their very first pilot you, you can probably count on one hand especially if you like remove the first year when people were sort of flocking to 101 in general mm-hmm. like most people submit a pilot that doesn't even make the screening first and then they do that a few times until they get good enough and then they get in the screening and usually it doesn't get voted back and then they submit again and again. But then at that point, they're like, "Okay, consistently good enough to get into the screening." I mean, this is what it was when I when I was making shows. I don't know what it's like now because I haven't been in a while. I mean, of course, of course, you're gonna get better at something if you do it more. <laughs> yeah, <I would. laughs> it's like saying the most obvious thing in the world. But I, well, yeah, but, but it, it is, is hard for people to realize. They think that first show they submitted is the best thing ever, and they don't, and they're mad that it didn't get in the screening like look at it as an opportunity you get to make something else now
1: to make this point shifting over to music I definitely was guilty of this in the studio making like those six-year albums with all my hopes and dreams mm-hmm. uh, as as many do loving being in the studio is not a crime for sure it doesn't hurt definitely. anyone it's a great environment you you, you come alive in it um and, and I mean that in the gross way too I, I just wasn't <laughs> heard myself say that I think I'm just harping on it too much now. What you were saying was better.
0: Well, you know, there are, the the problem is that we tend to focus a lot on examples of people who seem like they came out of nowhere amazing, but it's just, that's not the case, that there's just a lot you don't know about all of the time and effort they put in ahead of that.
1: That's true. I'm sure something different might apply to something that you've just made or something that you made a long time ago, but what kind of relationship do you have I don't know emotionally to, <laughs> or in terms of how you assess it or j- like critique it, to the music that you've made after you've made it.
0: Yeah, you know. I mean, I definitely do allow myself to like my own music. It's not like I'm that. I'm not you know a psycho where I just like am a machine making music for other people's <laughs> enjoyment and well you, I don't care if anyone if I, if I like it or not. You did describe the Tin Pan Alley type. Uh,
1: environment that you worked in though
0: right you know i mean that's true and and you know but at the end of the day like i still wanted to win right so i still wanted to like whatever i came up with because Mm -hmm. then i thought they would like it um so yeah i mean i want i at the usually 99.9 percent of the time i like the music that i wrote for whatever thing right um now in that's in the moment sometimes i come back and go oh god that's (laughs) not good Or I should have spent more time or whatever, you know, various reasons. But, like, I do like it. I'm just good at going, okay, well, I like that, but they didn't, so let's move on. You know what I mean? I just understand not everybody likes the same stuff I do. Uh, There's a good example. I just did a cue for uh, Rick and Morty Season 7 where my first pass at it, was something I was absolutely in love with. And I mean, like, I was like, I want to release this as a single, blah, blah, blah. And I sent it and I was expecting like a, oh my God, we're not worthy, (laughs) you know, (laughs) kind of a response. And there was like a lot of, hmm we were kind of thinking it would be more like this. You know, I took some big swings on it and that's part of why I liked it. So, you know, I dialed back the swings, I kind of went more in the area they wanted and I got them happy because they were ultimately, that's my job, right? Um, it doesn't do me any good to fight for the track that they clearly don't like. So I went back to the drawing board and did it the way now that they were sort of saying, hey, we should have told you this ahead of time or whatever, but like, here's more what we're looking for. I got them happy, they were happy. And then I said, hey, now that you're happy, <laughs> can we revisit that first one? Because I love it. And, you know, the, we talked about it and ultimately they have a vision. So we're going with their vision. And that's my job. You know, like I I have no, if I want to make music that I love and that I don't care if other people love, I'll do that. That's fine. But probably not going to get paid for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. My advice is if you don't if you think that the director or the producer is pushing you in a direction that is not right or doesn't work in the way that you want it to or you're not happy with it, just do what they want and then go, hey, let's look at then do what you gotta do what they want, but you can also do what you want and try to convince them. But you gotta do both. It's never gonna work to just do what you want and then try to convince them.
1: I don't know if I've reached a place where I'm like like I think I do good shit, but even if there was a question to some of, like, In the few experiences that I've had composing stuff for other people's shows, I like it more after I put their input in because mm-hmm. I've done enough shit completely on my own. Anything with someone else's input is just better. By True, default.
0: true, <laughs> true. It, it is sort of like you do something and you're like maybe the kind of ambivalent about it. But then when someone really loves it, you go, oh, maybe there is something here. Um, and you 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 end up liking it more because someone else liked it. Yeah, totally. Uh,
1: let's address a show that nobody knows about, JK. It's One could argue it's been a great show the whole time, but you know, new shows uh, have more trouble than they'd like, even as great as they are. A show that's been around, what, 10 years? When did Rick and Morty first uh,
0: air? We started working on it in 2011. I think it aired oh. in 20, 2013, so... I so could be off coming on those up numbers, but yeah, ten years, com- something like that.
1: Okay, ten years. Damn. For those of you just joining us, who think that the, <laughs> who started th- the
0: podcast in the middle? Yeah. And, um,
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I I, I will probably sh- cater more to channel one hundred one crowd than just Rick and Morty crowd, but the just sure. Rick and Morty crowd is huge. That's why I want to say, yeah, yeah. Sorry, not sorry, but let's let's talk about it. What's your favorite thing about the show? as far as what you can access in yourself creatively? Uh,
0: I mean, the show is just insane, right? Like I'm, what I think I love about it, what I think I'm maybe uniquely qualified or not uniquely, but what I, the reason I think I'm qualified to be the composer on the show is, and is part of what I really love about it. And that is that there is a wide variety of, of genre and style in the music. A huge percentage, 80% of the cues are all kind of sound of show, action, sci-fi, cinematic adventure. But there are very few shows on the air right now where you get to do something stupid like Snake Jazz or the, the <laughs> Y'all Ready for Piss uh, arrangement we did last season. Um, or, and something super fucking cool and moody like the track I did with Katomi uh, Don't Look Back, at the end of season four. Like, it just really lets me stretch a lot creatively. I get to do all sorts of really crazy, stupid stuff and really cool, serious stuff. And I get to do, you know, film scorey stuff, which I also love. So, and I think, you know, it's, it's a testament to working in ads for 10 years where every day I was doing something different. Like I was really required, you know, I, I, I didn't play in jazz bands. I didn't study jazz at all. I have no background in jazz, but when I was working on ads, it was like, you had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my first few jazz demos were uh, not good, but, you know, they had world class musicians on them, so they made them good. But it pushes me in a way that is really satisfying and it makes me do things creatively that I wouldn't even think of doing myself, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What would you say given that it what it asks if you to cast such a wide net like there is cohesion like it all sounds like music on, on, from rick and morty do you think it's the conscious rick and mortyness you, you you're aware of when you're composing it or making it or is it the ryan elder of it well it's that probably just,
0: both right like
1: um, no I can't... no it has to be one
0: sorry I, <laughs> I mean i can only write music that i can write right like i'm um... <laughs> I can write music that other people can. That other people can write, and I can't. Um, in fact, some of my favorite music in the world is stuff where I'm like, "Wow, I could never do that." Uh, the White Lotus soundtrack. I could right. try to score the first season of White Lotus one billion times, and I would never do something like <laughs> what he did. Like, it's that. It's just great. That's what I, why I love it. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds cohesive because i'm doing it but also because i'm consciously trying to make it cohesive right like i want a sound a clear sound of show a clear sonic identity to the show because that's what you do with television for the most part hey it's a meme mario
1: love channel 101 but hate looking at shit. try frequency 101 all you gotta do is record an audio pilot, make it five minutes or less, and submit it to... Submissions CHANNEL101.COM The listening audience will vote for the favorites, Mamma Mia, and the top five shows will return next month. And don't worry, it's all audio, so you won't have to look at any fuck-dongs. Frequency 101! You won't have to look at any dicks or buttholes!
0: And we're back. And we're back.
1: Sorry about that. It made me wait oh, to start. Well, interview. I should
0: have just hosted. Oh, well.
1: <laughs> I, I, I hope there is a next time because I I not only appreciate you doing this, and also I, I really, like, you're a great conversationalist, and I'm taking the, the wording from someone else <laughs> who said that about me for some reason. But if we were doing this over coffee and I was in L.A., I mean, first of all, I would be so happy to be where the weather's nice. But... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would definitely leave having coffee with you feeling really inspired.
0: You know, I do a lot of coffees with, uh, up and coming composers of various levels. And so I guess I have experience doing it, but yeah, you know, I don't know. I like encouraging people. I like talking about my craft and who doesn't like talking about themselves too, you know, (laughs) do you feel like
1: hearing congratulations on all the great work that you've done as well as projects that you've been a part of. Is, uh, is that a nice thing to hear or do you, what's sure, your reaction? Sure.
0: Of course. Yeah. Why not? Um, I, I know I've been extremely fortunate to have the opportunities I've had. Um, but I also know, you know, like a lot of composers would love to be working on Rick and Morty. I know that I'm not stupid. Um, you know, and a lot of composers spend their whole career, doing shows that don't become popular, much less like, you know, the the juggernaut of uh, pop culture that Rick and Morty has become. So, so I listen, I know I'm lucky. Uh, congratulations are in order in the sense that it's how you would congratulate someone who won the lottery. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yes, I had to do the work, but uh, I always say you could throw a rock down Sunset Boulevard and hit 10 composers that are great. Um, you know, it's just about being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right people which obviously i did yeah. You know? i appreciate that i definitely you know i i
1: talked to enough of both our friends and people that i've just talked to once that are your friends that are aware of you're fucking talented like do you feel like <laughs>
0: i guess this is just a gushing question <laughs> do you know do you know how talented you are ryan i i mean i i think the answer is probably no um i But maybe in saying that, I'm sort of acknowledging that I am. I don't know. It's a catch twenty two. But I definitely have imposter syndrome. I definitely have a strong fear of failure. You know, we're seven seasons in, and I still worry about getting fired. (laughs) You know, it's it's just the way I am. I have a lot of anxiety and stuff, so I don't really like ever rest on my laurels. I don't ever really go, "Well, I'm great, so they should love this. Um, I should get every (laughs) job I try to get." I'll never think like that. and uh, But I appreciate kind words. And, um, you know, I reserve the right to disagree with you <laughs> on those kind words. But I still appreciate them. Yeah, I-, I think there's a lot of composers that are like, I'm the best, I'm great. And some of them are very good and very great. And I don't think that that attitude has helped them become good or great. I think they just are. Um, and I think having some sense of humbleness can add length to your career, can add opportunities that you wouldn't have gotten if you were just very full of yourself and very confident. So it's a, you definitely want to come off confident if you're looking for work. Like you definitely want to go like, listen, I can fucking nail this for you. I know exactly what you want. I know how to do it. I'm the right person for the job, right? And I definitely do think that no matter what, If I say yes to something, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm confident that I'm going to get my client happy or my collaborator happy, whoever. That is, you know, I have enough evidence over a 20-year career, 22-year career to say, okay, yes, I can deliver. But once I do deliver, I'm never like, they're going to love this. You know what I mean? I'm always like, I hope they love this. (laughs) You know? Right. Um, But so at the end of the day, like I just try to have fun doing what I do and I I try to get it to a point where I like it. And then, you know, if they don't like it yet, we'll we'll get it where they like it. (laughs) Doing revisions is part of the job. But
1: back against the wall, you know. Your Honor, Exhibit A. Yeah, Um, (laughs) and the jury is like, okay, we we get it. Well, I might be somewhere in the middle, and I don't know if this is a worst thing to do, but like self-examining, I'm cautiously confident in my abilities as a, you know, composer, editor, sound designer, mixer. Mm -hmm. I think where imposter syndrome is that thing where I think I can quote you as saying like it's it's sort of like someone's gonna find me out. Uh, that I don't mm-hmm, that I don't mm-hmm. have it. <laughs> and I don't know if this is the worst way to be, but I think my external lens is is always thinking that everyone thinks I don't have it and yeah. therefore I can't lose. <laughs> like if oh, I try. Uh, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> it's like no no one thinks I'm going to win. So yeah. I can only go up from here.
0: Yeah, that's a good I mean, you know, I think it's just whatever you got to have confidence. At least you have to exhibit confidence. You have to say, I know what to do. Um, and I'm going to give you my best shot at it. Um, and you know, that's all any creator can ask of their composer for sure. Um, I've, you know, I've been fortunate enough to never be fired, but I do feel like it could happen at any point. Lots of composers get fired for really dumb reasons. Mm -hmm. and lots of composers almost get fired for really dumb reasons and then they pull it out of a hat or whatever so that's one of the reasons why channel 101 was so fun is because i knew there's no you know there's no firing (laughs) there's no like the only way you could really get fired in channel 101 is if you started asking for money right (laughs) you know like everybody's doing it for free but i guess if you don't show if you're an actor and you don't show up or something um you might get replaced in the next episode, but that is something else. Um, in any case, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm kind of losing the track, but.
1: Well, with 101, when you went to the screenings and a show with your music in it was in the running, in for mm-hmm. votes, how, how much, if at all, did you get like wrapped up in the stakes of whether or not the show got voted back? Oh, I mean, I definitely voted for it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like, did you, show... did you care
0: if it didn't get voted back? Sometimes I might have secretly been like, I hope this doesn't get voted back because I have a busy month next month. But it was (laughs) never like, I don't want to work on that anymore because it's not fun. You know what I mean? Um, It just was like, hey, it'd be kind of nice if I didn't have to worry about this. But that, you know, ultimately I still voted for, I think I always voted for every show that I worked on, unless I worked on more than five shows in a month. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But, which is definitely possible, but... I always wanted stuff. I, I always want stuff I work on to succeed. And I've worked on some stuff that hasn't, you know, that only had, I did a, I did a show that was on Fox. It was a late night sketch show up against SNL for some reason. Um, it was produced by the Lonely Island. It was called Party Over Here. Right. And it had uh, Nicole Byers, one of the main cast, Jess McKenna and um, uh, Alice and Rich was the third, and they were awesome. And the show, like, had a lot of promise. I thought it was really good, but it just kind of, like, got buried by the network, didn't get promoted, and it just only did, we only did, you know, 10 episodes. And it only, they all only aired once, and now you literally can't really find it. There's a few sketches on YouTube, but um, it kind of really just got lost. So not everything is a hit, and most composers do a lot of stuff like that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> all right well uh sorry andy but, uh, do you
0: want do you want to do this cop show <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> i i think the timing was pretty close but he would have just done but he was just a producer on probably right. over here they were only in one episode and they didn't say any words they just sat in the audience and were like the women and who the stars of the show would ask them questions and then get worried when they didn't respond it was like a bit they were doing mm-hmm it was a funny bit but the the whole point was that they were the producers but they didn't say anything
1: <laughs> well speaking of the episode of the boo that that you talked about before a lot of us you know 101ers and 101 nerds will be the first to tell somebody what the first lonely island video yeah. was
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i always say like when people are like when i'm telling someone about channel 101 and they've never heard of it you know, I'm always like, well, you know, the Lonely Island got their start there, Andy Sandberg. And then they're like, oh, well, that's a real thing then. But I, I, I came in when the Lonely Island were on their way out. I think they only went to two or three screenings that I also went to. And they were kind of already big shots by then because they had done an MTV pilot and a Fox pilot. So they, they, they were awesome. And I would have loved to have started earlier so I could meet them. But, you know. They, we just, uh, we're ships in the night, I think.
1: Well, with COVID and everything and, and lots of changes uh, over the last even five, ten years even, um, Channel 101 is now in its 20th year. Crazy. D- does that, yeah, does that conjure any any feelings? Any? Uh, well, what it does uh,
0: is it makes me go, man, I feel like the 10th anniversary was just like two years ago. But it also makes me wonder, are they going to do something? Because it would be fun to do like a big everybody comes back kind of thing. Like a high school reunion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's great that it's still going. I can't, I'm super psyched. I always feel good that, you know, most of us, a lot of us, I wouldn't say even say most of us, but a lot of us like got too busy and just unfortunately weren't able to like be as much of a part of it over the years, uh, myself included. But I, you know, I obviously still root for it. I want people and I point young composers to it and say, hey, here's a great resource. Here's a place to meet people who are at your same level in the industry, who are making stuff that you can work with and build relationships with. Because you might think your music is amazing and maybe it is. But if you don't have any experience doing anything the only people who are going to want to work with you are the people who are also don't have any experience doing anything, you know? So, Hmm. so I think it's a great place for young composers to start. It's a great place for young writers, young film, anyone who wants to be involved in television, being involved in channel 101 when you're new and you're young and you're hungry and you have the energy to shoot all night is going to be a great opportunity. And I'm so glad that it's still there for people. We've been talking about this idea
1: of celebrating Channel 101's old enough to drink twenty uh, first mm, anniversary.
0: That's yeah. that's fun. That's way. That's like kitschy and fun in a way that's really fitting for the whole vibe of Channel One Hundred One. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And I'm sure, you know, I know Dan has told me, and Rob, um, they have both told me that Channel One Hundred One is like one of their most one of their proudest accomplishments. Like. Rob especially has been like, yeah, I think it's the best thing I ever added into the world. Um, Hmm. And, you know, this is a guy who has done some amazing shit. So, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know his whole, I don't know all of the accomplishments in his life, but, you know, it's got, for me, it's got definitely got to be up there. You know, it's a pretty amazing thing.
1: (laughs) not a whole lot and they kind of like fade away really quickly when they realize it's not the case but like a lot of people will come on by and be like so if I send something in is Dan Harmon
0: gonna Uh, gonna watch it it used to be that way (laughs) when he was on the primetime panel it used to be that way for sure but obviously not anymore Um, yeah you know and I I think uh, though you know I think it was right for them to eventually sort of step aside and let other people run the show, um, because they, they, you know, everybody has busy lives and it should be, it should be run by people who have the kind of gorilla energy that Mm. people younger than Dan and Rob and myself have, (laughs) um, in, in spades. So I I personally think it benefits from having fresh blood constantly coming in and recycling it and giving it new energy. Um, and you know, there's always a zeitgeist there too. Like when I was in, it was a lot of comedy, just tons of comedy. And then uh, towards the end of me going, dark comedy became huge. Kill the Baby, mm. um, that yeah, show that... with the woman, the Russian woman smoking in the tub. I can't remember the name of it.
1: Oh, 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 oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, Emily Green. Uh,
0: anyways, Natasha. Yeah. Like stuff like that became really popular and it just became a very different vibe. And that's cool. Like I wanted to evolve over time. That's It should always do that. A lot of people were constantly there in the prime time at that period of the beginning of the independent stuff. I haven't even been to the new location. I really want to go.
1: Thanks to COVID, that's how I got involved. And I think it's kind of beautiful that the online thing sort of
0: opens things up for... Yeah. What's your favorite 101 episode of any show? There's a lot. Um, All right. Well, so I can tell you mine while you think... Please. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's still I there's a bunch I haven't seen over the last few years, so maybe something amazing. I'm sure something is amazing out there. But for some reason the very first original shitbuster with uh Chris Romano <laughs> and uh Eric Falconer is still like one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. I still think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. How they just tapped into this idea that it's, like, so embarrassing to be caught taking a shit <laughs> for some reason. It just makes me laugh forever. It always will. That is a great
1: one. Did you make music for that one?
0: No, no. That was before my time.
1: My, my favorite episode. No one's ever asked me this shit. I feel bad for anyone that I've done this to. But to say that I have a favorite is not to take anything away from any other show. Of course. Of course, yeah. It's the episode of Yacht Rock where Demorge Brown's Michael Jackson. Oh yeah, I was needs, in that
0: one. It was the fir- one of the very first dolly shots in Channel One Hundred and One history. What? JD had gotten a dolly from somewhere and they brought it in. It was that was filmed at my work, and I <laughs> I was on guitar for that episode. Oh, brilliant. Uh, I was like, Steve Lukather, one of those guitar players, supposedly. Right. Uh, or maybe as an engineer in the studio, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, that that's an amazing episode. Incredible. I mean,
1: it's not just one of the, for my money, one of the best shows on 101, but it's it that episode was my introduction to Demorge Brown, who was mm-hmm. on the most recent episode of Willie and I show Bloodblade. Anything with him in it, to me, is like a Stanley Kubrick movie, you can't fucking look away. There is nice. an unspeakable force of magic happening.
0: <laughs> an unbelievable performer and actor, just one of the best. Um, so many great, great, talented people have come through the 101 halls over the years. I mean, I can't even list, you know, all of them, but, and so many of them have gone on to do really cool shit that people are paying money to watch, you know? So it's, a, it's such a great place.
1: Total hairpin turn. Like you must be a fan of music. There must be periods of time where you get to just enjoy music purely for enjoyment. So I'm curious uh, to know yeah. what, what are some of your favorite um, go-to albums and feel free to, to go
0: sentimental on it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I, there was a long period where I was just so busy making music all day, every day. I didn't really want to listen to music that much. Mm-hmm. night, it just, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, right? But um, over the last few years, five years, basically once we got Spotify, it was like, oh, okay, I'm going to start listening to more music. And I've really gotten into a lot of um, modern sort of indie pop bands. My all-time favorite right now is uh, Carly Ray Jepsen. I'm just obsessed with her style and the way she song- – her songwriting skills – and I really like that sort of, like, 80s-inspired pop kind of thing, which is why I'm doing the record of it myself, because I just love it. Um, so bands like Carly Ray and Muna is a cool new band that I fucking love. Um, so I listen to a lot of that for fun. And, you know, back in the day when I was growing up, I, you know I was a teenager in the 90s, so of course I listened to all of the alternative bands. But my favorite of all time back then was Smashing Pumpkins, And I still listen to them once in a while, but Billy Corgan is just psycho that I, it kind of turns me off a little bit. He's like a red pill weirdo now or something. He's right wing for sure. In any case, uh, so yeah, that's what I listen to for fun these days. Um, I like stuff that is like really clean and pristine and like everything's in its place, which is why pop really speaks to me right what's the word the French word zone." like it just wow. ma- like it raises the hairs on the back of my neck in a cool way uh, it just makes me feel good when I listen to it even if the music is kind of depressing um, I just like it part of that is because it's very hard for me to write like that um, It's it takes so much work to make these perfect pop creations I think people people don't respect pop music enough because it's popular
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> that's true I really appreciate your time this was not yeah. the this was not a pristine pop production of a
0: podcast I'm messy I hope you had a good time anyway I though. did it's great to talk to you Todd and uh, we should we can do this again and you know fill in some blanks later if you come up with more uh, more questions or whatever um, I'm definitely down alright um, <laughs> thanks Todd this was really fun uh, great, great talking to you
1: This podcast features music used with permission from the Hollow Scene EP by Postmodern Machine. Available wherever you get bandcamp.com, but please visit postmodernmachine.com. Thanks for listening.